Roundtable Osteuropa. Ein Podcast des Zentrums für Osteuropa und internationale Studien. Welcome to our new episode. Today we want to focus on the current situation on the Belarus-EU border. For weeks, thousands of refugees have tried and in parts managed to cross into Lithuania, Latvia and Poland. Some have moved further, for example to Germany. Alexander Lukashenko's regime has been facilitating access for migrants to Belarus and he has been providing transport through the country to the EU border. Migrants are being used as a political instrument to put pressure on neighboring countries and the EU as a whole. After mass protests last year, Lukashenko has managed to cling to power for now, and this is his revenge for the sanctions the EU imposed on him, on other members of the political elite and the Belarusian economy. These sanctions were the response to mass repression in the aftermath of the falsified Belarusian presidential elections in August 2020 and the rerouting of a passenger plane to Minsk in connection with the arrest of opposition journalist Roman Potasiewicz. The EU is now considering further sanctions. At the same time, a complex set of local, national and EU-wide challenges is becoming apparent again. The EU simply lacks an effective refugee and asylum policy and authoritarian leaders can abuse this vulnerability. I'm joined today by two experts who will share their insights on different aspects of these issues. One of them is Dr. Karolina Lukasiewicz. She's a Marie Skorowska Curie Fellow at the Center of Migration Research at the University of Warsaw. Karolina is a sociologist. She has been working on numerous projects on immigrant integration policies across the EU, including on Poland. We had a pleasure of hosting her at the Center for East European and International Studies, SOIS, in Berlin a few years ago. So welcome back, Karolina. Our second expert today is Dr. Felix Kravacek. He's a political scientist and heads the research cluster Youth in Eastern Europe at SOIS. He has been involved in survey research on Belarus, including among Belarusian youth and society at large. My name is Gwendolyn Sasse. I'm the director of the Center for East European and International Studies. Let's begin with you, Karolina. Because of restricted access and limited information flows, it has become hard to actually grasp the situation on the ground. Well, the images that reach us are reminiscent of the pushbacks uh, we are familiar with in the Mediterranean. And now it is also happening on the EU's eastern border. Can you describe the situation to us a bit? Yes, so uh, thank you for inviting me here. So in the, in the last half a year, Polish art authorities have been reporting increased undocumented border crossing on the Polish-Belarusian border. Um, on September 27, there was a famous press conference at the headquarters of the border guard in Poland, where the Minister of the Interior informed about over 9.4 thousand attempts of undocumented border crossing within l the two months of August and September. In response, on uh, September 22nd, the uh, president of Poland announced a state of emergency, which included an area of uh, 183 towns bordering with Belarus. And uh, a list of restrictions was implemented in this area, including not allowing anybody who is not a resident or working in the area there. So um, neither press nor uh, NGOs could officially 
enter. And more recently, on October 22nd, a new law was introduced in Poland, which kind of legalized the pushbacks. So it allowed border guards to send people back, even if they crossed the border, were in Poland and requesting asylum. Um, and uh, also very recently, on November 3rd, actually, there was a new law enacted which allowed for building a special wall which will cost over 1.6 billion water on the border between Poland, Belarus and parts of Ukraine. And well, the NGOs and some grassroots groups are entering the area and what they are reporting is, uh, is, is very troubling. They report people being pushed back and forth uh, by Polish border guards and on the other side of, uh, by the Belarusian border guards. And just within um, last week of October, the grassroots groups who are in, in the area and helping people in the border received within a week a request from a thousand people for, for help. And uh, they were able to help 400 uh, throughout 70 interventions. And well, overall, people are trapped in, uh, in this zone in horrible condition and their situation is getting worse every day with the temperatures dropping down in Poland. And until now, uh, first week of November, 10 people were identified and found dead in the area because of either freezing to death or drowning uh, in, the, uh, in the river on the Polish-Belarusian border. It's still like unclear the real scale of the problem, although it's, it's maybe helpful to look at it from a bit broader perspective. So, for example, according to the data that Frontex collects about undocumented border crossing in the uh, time between January and the end of August 2021, there were over 6,000 attempts reported of crossing the whole uh, eastern EU border. And just to compare, uh, you mentioned the Mediterranean. So at the Mediterranean, during the same time, there was uh, like 42,000 such cases. Yet the similarities to the crisis at the Mediterranean are, are definitely there. Just just like with the crisis in Mediterranean, uh, when Alan Kurdi was a kind of face of the crisis. So in Poland, also faces of children are faces of the crisis. Uh, so it's, it's very dramatic. Do you think that what we're seeing is effectively um, a vacuum in terms of international law and EU law? And if so, uh, why is this happening? Well, according to various Polish legal authorities, actually there has been multiple open letters framed by major Polish authorities based at universities or different professional associations that the situation is clear from um, the perspective of Polish constitution or the perspective of EU or international law. So, I mean, this is clear that the border guards should be processing each case whenever a person requests to, um, to apply for asylum in Poland, yet this is not, uh, not happening. So there has been also multiple appeals by different Polish professional organizations dealing with migration, different scholars requesting or appealing to the UNHCR, UNICEF, also EU institutions to, uh, to act or to create a pressure on, on Polish government. And on the other hand, more specifically, 
In October, Frontex executive director visited the Polish-Belarusian border and uh, Fabrice Legary, he actually said that the situation, he, he was satisfied with the response of the Polish government back then. And uh, mid-October, uh, European Commissioner for Home Affairs, Ilva Johansson, did express a concern, but about what's happening at the border, but no specific action followed. So that's that's the response. At least according to the to the Polish legal authorities, this is not this is not really a legal vacuum. There there are clear regulations that should be taking place, but they're not taking place. On the other hand, Polish government uses the argument, well now after implementing this new law it's kind of legitimized the pushbacks that has been happening for a very long time on the one hand and on the other hand the government is using the argument that this is not that that it's legal for them to to push people back to the Belarus which is considered should be considered for some migrants as as a safe country then on the other hand there are different arguments highlighting that it's really not, including uh, asylum cases which has been processed for uh, Belarus and f fleeing the current conflict to Poland. It has been multiple times stressed how unsafe Belarus is. So uh, so there is a kind of tension here. Po Poland has been more hesitant to involve the EU border agency Frontex compared to Lithuania. Um, does that reflect a wish to deal with some the situation um, within a national context rather than make it an EU issue? Or how do you interpret this? Yeah, I, uh, this is exactly the case. Just like with other involvement uh, of the EU in the country, the, the government is viewing it as an internal uh, situation that they claim to be coping with that way. I suppose it comes on top of um, other issues in the Polish-EU um, relationship and, and this uh, political issue comes on, on top of that. Felix, let's, let's turn maybe to, to the issue of what we actually know about um, what is going on, on on the ground. And you hear quite different numbers of um, individuals heading in, in different directions and crossing the border, the, the Belarusian-Polish border, but also into Latvia and Lithuania. What do we actually know about, or what can we know about, about how many uh, are making their way to these borders or across them into the EU, how many have been pushed back? What do we know about the routes, how they get there, and what happens also in between those those borders? Yeah, that's a really important question, and unfortunately one that doesn't have a straightforward answer that we all agree on. I mean, the numbers that we can get come from the border securities and those who are actually on the ground, and Carolina already have described to us how difficult it is to for anyone who is not part of the government um, to access to access the border region. So NGOs can't verify the numbers that we see. But the numbers we can get are, for instance, that at the end of October, within 24 hours, the Polish border guards have um, registered 700 attempts to cross the border within 24 hours, at one day at the end of October. That adds up, if we look at the entire month of October, to something around 11,000 people who have illegally tried to enter Polish territory. And if we look at the situation over the entirety of 2021, the number that we can get is something around 25,000 people. Of these 25,000 people, around 6,000 have 
arrived in Germany. Nevertheless, what we also know is that it's somewhere between 800 and 1,000 migrants that arrive on a daily basis in Minsk, coming from Syria, Iraq, but also Congo and Cameroon. Um, so that is countries of origin are getting more diverse, and these people are transiting primarily via Istanbul or Lebanon, but also Dubai. And if you look at arrivals at Minsk airport, you're actually surprised by the amount of planes that arrive from these, from these countries. So 800 to 1,000 migrants on a daily basis arriving in Minsk, which also has implications for what Minsk looks like at the moment, and we're probably going to talk about the situation in Belarus. Um, but of course, these people are not staying in Minsk, they are being carried over um, to the border. What we also know that's quite important to have an understanding for what kind of people are actually on the move at the moment. Um, the adverts you can see on social media um, amount to something like 12,000 to 15,000 euros um, as the costs for this transit from Iraq, Syria, um, all the way up to the border. So it's not particularly cheap um, to get onto that, get onto that route. Yeah, and then as Caroline said, I mean these people are trapped in a in a very densely wooded border zone um, where the last wild bisons of Europe are living. So it's just kind of to illustrate what that forest looks like and um, where these people are now, are now trapped um, and where around 25,000 soldiers on the Polish side help to kind of protect the border alongside the around 4,000 border guards that we have. Yeah, maybe it's worth adding too that, as you just mentioned, um, that this is a border going through forest and it wasn't as fortified as it is now becoming. So there are sort of separate fences going up on different parts of the border, on the Polish side, the Belarusian side, the same in on the Lithuanian-Belarusian um, border. So this is also a border that is changing in its in its physical appearance and, of course, in Absolutely, the yeah. control it can uh, exert on, on people. Can you perhaps explain sort of the rationale of the, of the Belarusian regime, of Alexander Lukashenko's regime, it is not a, a strategy or a tool that is being used for the first time. We know of other cases also Turkish President Erdogan has, has used um, this. However, after um, Turkey had already uh, taken in a large number of uh, Syrian um, refugees, uh, for example. But we're now seeing it in the Belarusian context where the, the rationale is, is, apart from revenge, harder to see because this is unlikely to undo EU sanctions or deliver anything concrete um, to Lukashenko. How do you see this, this rationale and how does it fit into the political and, and societal context in Belarus? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the first point that you mentioned, the revenge is really important, kind of, I think, as an impetus to get this started. Then also in Belarus at the moment, the context to add is that the direct pressure has eased off. I mean, the people are not in hundreds of thousands on the streets any longer, but nevertheless, that's now where we can see this this policy kind of really taking off. Um, I think the most important element to consider there is Lukashenko's desire to kind of split the EU on its position towards Belarus. Um, and in part, that is happening because um, of all the kind of legal problems that Poland has within the European Union, um, the EU doesn't have a unified position on how to deal with that constant flow of refugees. Um, and that is something where Lukashenko certainly has success in dividing the European Union. It can also play very well on the domestic front. I mean, if you look um, at Belarusian, uh, Belarusian media and talk shows and newspapers and so on, you really see kind of a cynical discourse about Europe and then comes in quotation marks, European humanism, how Europeans are letting 
vulnerable people starve and die on the border. So it plays into a kind of a propaganda machine that has been developing in Belarus over the last years, um, and where people claim that, you know, completely out of context, these refugees are dying because European officials who are sitting in warm offices in Brussels are letting this happen. Um, so it is Europeans who can be kind of accused of acting without any humanity and not respecting international law. Um, and of course, that is true, as um, Carolina <laughs> mentioned. I mean, international law, especially the 1951 Geneva Convention, is ignored at the border. But the Belarusian way of talking about it, of course, completely ignores the fact that these people have been brought to the border by um, Alexander Lukashenko. What is also important in the Belarusian context now is the kind of language that is being used. It's a very emotionally and historically charged language where the people who protect the border on the Polish side they're accused of being collaborationists, the refugees who are trapped in the forest. There's the language of camps um, that is used in Belarusian media. So kind of they play with this culturally available arsenal. And so my reading here is the domestic rationale is really important, uh, an attempt to bind support or to increase support again for the for the existing regime, create an external foe and kind of delegitimizing um, EU EU activities and also maybe Europe as a as a more attractive political alternative, um, and then this also plays kind of into a longer-standing anti-Polish discourse that is part of Belarusian media. Um, and we now see references kind of to Stalin-era atrocities and kind of anti-Polish and Belarusian um, hostilities have have grown significantly as a method to help consolidate a fragile autocracy. Is it also fair to say that one part of the rationale is to influence and change um, societal views in Poland and Lithuania about Belarus? If we think about maybe the mood of the local population closer to the border and experiencing um, what is happening right now, um, is it also maybe undermining the support for, in particular, the, the opposition in, in Belarus if we Remember that the opposition members, the most prominent ones, mostly went into exile to, to Lithuania and Poland. And from there, there was uh, in particular a lot of support for Siranauskaya, her team, and in particular a change in general, a change in, in, in Belarus. So I'm, I'm wondering, Karolina, um, do you see evidence of sort of the societal mood changing in the border regions or more generally? And we can also broaden our view and in include um, Lithuania or Latvia, if you, if you like. Well, in general, Polish society has very divided views about refugees. In the past, usually people were in favor of accepting refugees, and then there has been like multiple polls supporting refugees. But after 2016, when the political uh, situation in Poland changed, refugees were over and over used as a kind of group presented as, as a danger for, for the national safety, which resulted again over the years with the attitudes towards accepting refugees dropping. And uh, just in, I think, end of, uh, end of September, there, there was a survey which showed that basically half of, half of people participating in the survey were in favor of 
government approach to what's going on on the on the border at the same time there well the opinions are very divided and there is a massive grassroots organizing supporting people trapped in in the border areas i was wondering if you see it in particular as a continuation of of pre-existing sort of government policies but also then trends in in for example grassroots reactions to this the Polish approach to migration somewhat changed after 2016 and while in the past like for example between 2010 and 27 uh, 2016 Poland would accept yearly up to 15,000 refugees and uh, after 2016 the number started dropping and in 2020 it reached like the record low number of 2700 so so that's the like official policy of accepting uh, refugees in Poland. At the same time in 2016, during the crisis and war in Ukraine, over 100,000 Ukrainians were welcomed in Poland, not through the refugee procedure, but using another existing visa system. So that was that was possible. But, well, since 2016, there has been multiple reports of people being pushed back at the border, and that was prior the the current crisis with Belarus. It was happening in the past. In fact, there was a human rights court ruling against Poland where a group of people were able to document that uh, they have been multiple times pushed back from the border. One person reported being pushed back 26 times and that all happened prior to the current crisis. Overall, the current situation or the current the, the current numbers don't exceed significantly the number of uh, refugees or cases that Poland has been processing in the past. So there is capacity to deal with uh, those asylum claim, claims in a regular way when people approach the border, ask for asylum, they're being processed, put into the system and so on. Yet there is, in the last year, there is less and less kind of political will to do so. On, on the contrary, there is a will to seal the border, which might force even prior to the current crisis for force people to try to cross the border in, in an undocumented way. So then the response of the government is definitely disproportionate to, to what is actually happening there and in line with, with the current uh, approach to migration and, and using migration and migrants as a kind of other that unifies the society. You mentioned um, that Polish society is uh, polarized on this issue. Would you say that because of the, the great visibility of this issue right now, that this polarization is increasing? Yeah, so, I mean, we see that in uh, in opinion polls that, that society is very much divided and part of that division is massive grassroots activism happening around, around the country to support people trapped at the border. So, uh, for example, when the crisis started, a group of 14 non-governmental organizations, which has been assisting migrants and refugees in Poland for a very long time, established a group called Border Group. It was also some other activists joined the group, and they are actually trying to be present at the border. They're collecting food, clothes warm dishes but they also 
literally walk from house to house talking to people and explaining the migrants that they see around why are they here and what is legal for people to do and m most of all they inform local communities about helping which is legal like providing food or, or clothing. There are many other groups such as Families Without the Borders which is also supporting the border groups but organizing a lot of protests around the country. There is also a group called Doctors at the Border who has an ambulance standing parked at, at the border of the closed area. So, so there is an unprecedented activism and just locally the, the local communities are as divided as the rest of the society is. There are people who are helping, who are coming out for walks with their dogs in forest, always carrying with them water. And there are also people who are calling border guards when they see someone. Mm -hmm. Felix, you've also conducted research in Poland. What's what's your assessment at the moment? How it what we see fits into the Polish political and and wider social context? Yeah, I think I'd like to echo what what Karolina said. I mean, we've got this situation where people go on the streets against the government um, because of problems with the rule of law and a potential poll exit. And at the same time, we see new heights in public opinion, um, where the support for peace is growing, has been growing throughout the entire year. And of course, the government knows that. It knows that there's a generally kind of on average more anti-immigrant attitude than pro-migrant attitude. And peace is playing kind of this line very strongly. And it, we should remember 2015, when also the Polish government benefited from the migration crisis and again had an increase in, in its support. Whether this can play out in the long run is a completely different question because we also know from work that we've done here as well at the center among young Poles that Polish society is also growing more liberal over time and so this could also backfire on, on peace and certainly the strategy of turning everything into a battlefield, every topic that is of political relevance increases this polarization that Karolina has already, has already underlined. One dimension I think that is also important to keep in mind when we talk about this view in Poland on the current crisis is the role of Europe in this Polish discourse. Because Polish society, we know from surveys, but also if we look at kind of the media, is very pro-European. The trouble is that it's a very different understanding of Europe than the understanding you might encounter in German or other Western European media. And so the president can, for instance, claim very convincingly that Poland is about to protect Europe with the actions on the border. So the Polish-Belarusian border is not only a protection of the Republic of Poland, but it's the protection of European civilization, of the Schengen area, and so on and so forth. So that can play out in a very smart way in a largely pro-European public in Poland, where Poland, just like in 2015 again, can present itself as the agent for defending European values um, and kind of European society. And that is a smart way, one could argue, to respond to a situation where Poland is extremely under criticism from the EU. So where there's more than 1 million euros a day fines over the controversial judicial system reform. And so now protecting Europe, kind of being at the outpost on its eastern borders, is a way to still appear pro-European and maybe even present the actions that are taking place on the borders as being genuinely European. And of course, the side effect to that must be that all the suffering that we see at the border becomes completely void of anyone being responsible for that. So that's just a human tragedy that is accepted um, to unfold 
in order to protect Europe. And that is something, yeah, politically and socially has a great degree of repercussion. Maybe a question to both of you. Is it possible to kind of widen our perspective a little bit and maybe talk a little bit about um, similarities but also differences along the Belarusian-Polish border right now and the Belarusian-Lithuanian border? Would either of you like to comment on that? I see you nodding, Felix. Yeah, I, mean, I think the most significant difference really is that Frontex got involved in the Lithuanian border and that helped to appease the situation by and large. I mean, that is not where we see hundreds of people trying to cross. And I think that's the most, most significant difference. And Lithuania is also a little bit less of a target in Belarusian media as kind of the scapegoat for everything that isn't working well. And of course, then in Poland, the decision not to allow the Warsaw-based Frontex agency, I mean, that's really important to underline. It's kind of an irony of the situation that they are just two hours of a drive away from the border, these Frontex employees. That's the political decision of Poland, right, to not ask Frontex in assistance and cooperation. And of course, it's the right of Poland to not use Frontex capacities. I mean, it's the national authority to protect the border if they decide to do so. But still, Poland would have to comply, of course, with EU law. But I think that's where the, where the biggest, biggest difference is, that Poland is nationalizing this crisis at the same time playing this card of protecting Europe, whereas the Baltics have chosen to kind of Europeanize the response and therefore they've also successfully kind of de-escalated the situation because now in Poland with kind of every week one has the impression there's another layer of escalation with the reports about Belarusian soldiers being on Polish territory um, and then Polish soldiers moving to the border. Alexander Lukashenko is warning about a war with Poland. So this escalation is really unique to the Polish-Belarusian situation whereas Lithuania has has de-escalated by and large for now. Karolina, what's what's your take on the uh, also on the Belarusian-Lithuanian border in in comparison? Yeah, so I, I agree with Felix said that there are several major differences. So having. Uh, Frontex there or absent, but also the the access of media and NGOs. That's what makes a difference. So while while in Lithuania there has been also the kind of state of emergency announced, and in the very first period media were not allowed in, but then the the government withdrew from that decision and let let media and NGOs in, which is not uh, the case in Poland. There are some journalists going to the region, but but it, it's very rare and it's not the case uh, that was in August prior to announcing the state of emergency. I also think that even though there is a lot of reporting and coverage in media, it's definitely more difficult for the media to, to broadcast and inform when they are officially not let into the uh, border area. We've now mentioned uh, Frontex, uh, the EU border agency, um, a few times. Um, many would say it is also one small and insufficient um, uh, attempt to manage uh, crises like this, as so that maybe the image shouldn't um, exist that uh, involving Frontex then solves all these issues. And if we remember um, the situation in the Mediterranean, Frontex is also um, involved in the highly problematic pushbacks we are, we are regularly um, seeing there. So that's, this sort of gives rise to a broader question, really, and this is about um, kind of EU policy more generally. 
as we as we see along the Belarusian, Polish, and Belarusian Lithuanian border now, these as we said, borders are being demarcated more. They, I mean, they're demarcated by being fortified at the moment, and this creates a certain image of a strong external EU border or one that's strengthening. But however, under normal circumstances, the EU's external border is in, f in fact or is de facto externalized. And it would be more appropriate to say that the EU EU's border is in the Middle East, in North Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa. But then in a crisis, um, the EU perception or our internal EU perception seems to be different. And the question really is, are crises like the current one, where refugees become uh, political instruments, is that a new normal? Or can the EU react effectively to this and, and what is missing for that and what are uh, or who are the constituencies that could bring about such a policy in, in Poland and Lithuania but also more generally in the EU? Sure, I mean, I think there are two very different effective responses to the situation and the EU currently is kind of somewhere between these two poles and probably would be good to take a decision. So on the one side, you could say, well, 20,000 people, that's not a lot. We just let them all in. We grant them the asylum status. We need workers anyway. And we're able as Europe to live up to our values and to absorb these people into our cultures, into our workforce and so on and so forth. Then the weaponization of migrants would become futile if the EU were to chose that strategy of just kind of give them the right to the legal treatment that they deserve. The total opposite to that would be as a different attempt to try to make void that strategy of weaponizing migration is to seal the border and kind of erect the fence and kind of seal it off completely, um, ignoring the human rights, human rights laws that the European Union signed up to and just sealing the European Union off from the rest of the world. That would have huge repercussions on what the rest of the world thinks about Europe and whether the EU can still stand in for European values. But a possible response is, I think, either one or the other, and both could be effective in kind of making it kind of useless or void to instrumentalize refugees in the way that it's done at the moment. And the first strategy could, of course, have huge consequences for Europe itself. And that's what European political leaders, of course, are afraid of remembering 2015, the rise of anti-immigrant populism. I don't know, just remember the discourse about Brexit and Nigel Farage warning about hordes of Syrians coming to Britain. Sealing of the border, as it has this international repercussion. It could also, of course, for those who instrumentalize refugees, have huge implications. In Belarus now, these more or less 800 to 1,000 people who arrive on a daily basis. I mean, they, they change the current makeup of who walks around Minsk. If you look at Minsk Airport, the few pictures that we can see, the halls are crowded by families from the Near and Middle East waiting for the next step. And of course, that has implications for what Belarusians make of what their government is doing. And that could backfire as soon as there is... Um, I don't know, is there criminal acts or kind of as the societal discourse changes? But I think the EU needs to choose between one of these two strategies. And that's a huge political, and it's not illegal, but it's a political question where someone needs to take that agency and, and decide what we want to be as the European Union and how we deal with people who are waiting on the external border. Carolina, how, how do you see the policy options? And one could perhaps also say that before many... EU countries, probably mostly the ones in Central and Eastern Europe, saw migration 
and refugees as a as a southern European issue or one that concerns, for example, a country like Germany. Um, so is this perhaps also, thinking about it optimistically, a basis for a more coherent EU-wide thinking about it? Because now this is happening in the countries that have been among those more reluctant to, to push for a more coherent EU policy on these issues? Well, that would be great if this situation could become a window of opportunity for, for the EU to come up with more coherent approach. But I'm uh, skeptical about it, given the current response to what's happening in Poland. On the other hand, I, I think it's important to to look at the current situation as, as quite different from uh, what uh, Europe have been experiencing during the 2015-16 crisis. Um, so people coming through Belarus or arriving from uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and just purely from the geopolitical situation, the chances for having such a mass migration as through the Mediterranean are are lower. On the other hand, uh, the current tension between Poland and Belarus can be seen as a part of the border actually attempts to externalize EU borders. So just like uh, the EU made deals with Erdogan, Poland signed such a deal with Lukashenko in the past that has been uh, then questioned and used against Poland. I think that currently the the risk of having such a crisis like in the past are lower and well there is definitely capacity within the EU or in Poland to do the right thing which is process each of the asylum cases uh, of people at the border. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think it's really important to underline, I mean, Lukashenko can't scale that up to the 800,000 people that arrived exactly. in 2015. That's just not very likely. And for the EU, I mean, there's also the possibility to not only act on this via Belarus, but via the country of origins. I mean, the EU is not kind of watching this only from the sidelines. And kind of there are other ways to maybe circumvent what Belarus is doing by directly engaging with countries in the near and Middle East to reduce the numbers of people traveling to the Polish border via Belarus. And we should probably at this point also add that in the discussions about further EU sanctions, um, EU member states have not yet reached a consensus on something that could also have an important effect, namely the leasing of planes by a number of EU member states to Belavia, the Belarusian um, air company that transports migrants to Belarus. Um, so this also shows again that business interests uh, collide with uh, considerations about EU policy or, or human rights uh, more generally. Maybe as a final question to both of you, it's a difficult question, but how do you see the situation evolving over the next few weeks or, or months? So, you know, at the uh, uh, beginning of September, I spoke about uh, my colleagues about it and we were like hypothesizing what can happen next. And uh, one of my colleagues who is engaged directly helping people at the borders thought that m maybe someone has to die for the government to to respond and to start processing the cases. And uh, fast forward over a month ago, there has been nine or very likely more deaths documented already. And, uh, and the government response ha has not changed. I, I still have hopes in, um, in trying to create a pressure, either international or EU pressure on, on the Polish government. Perhaps with this pressure, perhaps uh, Frontex will be let in. 
and this is like a very sad thing for me uh, personally to to say because I'm, I'm thinking about all this horrifying Frontex intervention at the Mediterranean Sea where Frontex was seen as agencies actually doing the pushbacks as well and yet we found ourselves in a reality where, where Frontex is, is the hope for to some extent addressing the, the horrifying situation at the border. There is like a, a grassroots activism around passing the message to people somewhere maybe in the Be Belarus already who are trying to get to the border, not to do that actually and informing them what is happening here. So perhaps that will slow down the, the the process of more people entering the border and perhaps with some international pressure there is a hope for for Polish government to start doing the right thing and accepting the asylum cases that Poland definitely have capacity to do. Felix, how do you see the situation evolving? Uh, I mean, looking on the Belarusian side, I think there will be largely continuity um, in terms of a handful of planes arriving every day. We'll probably see a diversification of the countries of origin. Um, these group visa treatments will continue. Um, and so there will be this constant everyday kind of rhythm um, that poses a fundamental threat to the European Union's stability. That also means that, unfortunately, I'm very afraid that we'll be seeing further people dying on the border. Um, the humanitarian disaster, I think, will unfortunately continue over the next month, especially now with freezing nights and so on. Um, and the reason why I say that is I don't really see uh, the drivers in a change in EU policy, or that's at least not very obvious. Because fundamentally, there's a kind of a double standard in this EU policy. On the one hand, the external borders are to be defended, tooth and claws. On the other hand, there's this discourse about humanitarian attitudes that are really important in international law. But then there are elections upcoming, and France is having its presidential election. Um, there's a very strong far-right contender. So, again, another big EU country that will be very cautious to let, um, kind of, to give an impression of not protecting um, Europe from mass immigration or refugees arriving. So, I'm just not certain I see where a change in EU policy can can come from um, in its attitudes towards the relation, kind of the balance between protecting borders and respecting human rights. Um, and also the long overdue reform of the Dublin system, which maybe would change the dynamics a little bit also on the um, on how Poland deals with the border to Belarus. Um, that's not really up on the agenda in the EU. And so I'm afraid that this will also not happen. And these would be triggers, um, or the reform of the Dublin system certainly could be a trigger for, for a different policy approach. But... I'm afraid that for the next couple of weeks we'll see quite a lot of continuity and also the coalition agreement that is being negotiated in Germany is quite vague on that topic. I mean, it's just mentioning that humanitarian suffering should be stopped on the EU's external border. But of course, that's kind of a void statement that, that you have to make in a way in the current situation, but it doesn't bind you to specific actions um, and a commitment to either accepting people or, or a different course of action. Thank you very much to, to both of you, to Karolina Lukasiewicz and Felix Kravacek for their insights today. It's definitely an issue or a set of issues we will keep in our discussion. We'll return to these issues. But for today, thank you and thank you for listening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.